This is a podcast by The Straits Times. A SWAT team descends on her, basically like stops her from doing anything and then her father takes over her entire life. In fact, there is one point where she says her father sat her down and said, I am Britney Spears now, not you. Hello and welcome to Pop Vouchers, a pop culture podcast by The Straits Times. My name is Jen Lee and today we are continuing on in our journey of The Woman in Me, a best-selling memoir by pop diva Britney Spears, our favourite pop diva who gave us Toxic, who gave us Oops, I did it again. You know, I really love her. Okay, so last episode, uh, in case you don't know, I already talked about the first part of Britney Spears' memoir, The Woman in Me. Honestly, we kind of trash-talked Justin Timberlake as it is deserved. We also kind of trash-talked Kevin Federline a little bit less than Justin Timberlake because honestly, I feel like a lot of her problems started with Justin Timberlake. Not the point. If you want to listen to us trash-talk Justin Timberlake, go to the previous episode. In fact, if you want to listen to this part of the episode, I do think you should listen to the previous part because... It really sets up like a lot of the stuff that happens to Britney's life. So in this episode, we will talk about kind of the misogyny and the stress and all the very bad headlines and narrative that was very negative narrative that was surrounding Britney at the time when she shaved her head and yelled at paparazzi and attacked paparazzi's car with an umbrella and so on. So we will be talking about like what led up to her having that's sort of very public mental meltdown. And then we will go into a discussion of the conservatorship abuse that she suffered. You know, we will go into how this whole conservatorship sort of came about, how scary it was for her, what she was subjected to, like all the things that she couldn't do while she was under conservatorship and how she eventually came out the other side and managed to free herself from the conservatorship. And then we will end off with very quickly a little bit on like the only two famous people who came out of this memoir looking good because honestly, everybody in Britney's life has really, really let her down. All right, so let's get into it. Okay, so now we're moving on from the Kevin Federline thing into like the misogyny and stress that she was under and the stuff that led up to her mental breakdown. Obviously, like Kevin Federline is a part of this. In fact, I think she makes it fairly clear that the biggest factor driving her to a mental breakdown was the divorce and the custody battle and the fact that she couldn't see her children. And obviously also like the constant scrutiny of the media. There is this part in the book that I feel, again, I feel for her. I feel so much empathy for her. She says, you know, what I can see now, but I couldn't see then, is that every part of normal life had been stripped from me. Going out in public without becoming a headline making normal mistakes as a new mother of two babies, feeling like I could trust the people around me. I had no freedom, yet also no security. At the same time, I was also suffering from what I now know is severe postpartum depression. I'll admit it, I felt that I couldn't live if things didn't get better. So this was like the stage, the kind of mental state that she was under, right? While... All this stuff is happening. All the stuff about the custody battle, the divorce, and people yelling at her about her body and her body image because, like, she obviously had two babies in such quick succession and then she had to perform at the 2007 VMAs. She had to perform Gimme More, if I'm not wrong. 
And she was shamed for that performance because she looked a little bit out of it and her body was not like her pre-baby body, right? And people shamed her for it. So I really remember this period of time and it was just a really, really difficult time for her. And especially I think some of the paparazzi stuff really got her to do things that were very extreme. So, But actually, if you look in context, right? you completely understand why she broke down. Like, because she actually has a part where she says, like, she was carrying her baby while she was also heavily pregnant. And there were, like, reporters in her face, like, paparazzi in her face. And then, like, she almost fell. But she didn't. And I think in that heightened state, she turns to, like, the cameras and says, this is why I wish I had a gun. Something like that. And obviously, like, the press ran with it. And they would say things like, Britney Spears is huge. Look at her without makeup. And she says she felt like, why are those things sins? Like, why are those things things that I should be criticized for, you know? And did I ever promise that I would stay 17, looking like I was 17, you know? Things like that. So she clearly was under just a lot of issues. And it got her to a point that clearly, like, engaging in fairly unhealthy behavior, but, like, understandably was engaging very unhealthy behavior. I think that's one part where she says she drives a car and she swerves it in this really super dangerous way and so on. But all that stuff, her having clear mental health issues and being under super a lot of stress led to the financial abuse and the conservatorship. So this part, right, the part of the book that talks about the conservatorship is actually the part that I feel is the most well-written. Like I wouldn't, as I said, I wouldn't consider this book very literary in its writing, but I do like this part and how it unfolds because she really kind of writes it like a horror story, which it is. It's a horror story. So even in like earlier parts of the book, before the conservatorship is put into action, she seeds the things that happens to us. She seeds these ideas of what will happen to her. And you get this very ominous sense, this ominous looming feeling. Uh, for example, she talks about going to Vegas to get married. So she infamously got married for like 55 hours to a friend in Vegas. And she, it was a jokey thing that she did, you know? And her family got super, super, super mad at her. And she admits, like, yeah, I know it was a kind of stupid thing to do, but the way they got mad at me was as if they were unhappy that I had slipped out of their control, that I had done something that they couldn't predict, that I had done something that they didn't expect and they couldn't keep me under control. And at this point, I was also the one earning all the money in the family because, yes... Britney's parents relied heavily on her for income. Britney's little sister relied heavily on her for income. So she was the one bringing home the cash. And she says it felt like they were mad at me, that they couldn't control me anymore. And that obviously, you know, feeds into what happens on later. And it really was like a horror story. Okay, again, as I mentioned at the start, you know, this is Britney's account of what happened. So is it 100% accurate? I don't know. But at least Britney herself says that she was never a big substance abuser. Like, she feels that her main issue was, like, anxiety and depression. At least in the book, like, she says she did not feel that addiction was as much of an issue for her, even though she did get high on Adderall and things like that. But she feels like she didn't ever do anything criminal. And then this is how the conservatorship starts. It's really scary. She basically gets a call from her mom where her mom says like, hey, we hear the cops are after you, so let's go to the beach house. So they like lure her to the beach house by saying the cops are after you. And Brittany is like confused because she's like, what did I do that the cops are after me? Like, I didn't do anything criminal. I know that for sure. 
And then her mom is like, hey, just just come to the house. Just come to the house. So she goes to the house with the guy that she's dating at the time. And then suddenly, and this is what she says. Again, this is her account. I don't know if this is 100% true. But she says all of a sudden, there were helicopters going around the house. And like she asked her mom, is that for me? Is this a joke? It wasn't a joke. And then she says a SWAT team descended on her and basically took her away. And it's so scary. She was like stuck in a hospital and she talks about the conservatorship, like kind of like the conspiracy behind the conservatorship. She says, My father has struck up a very close friendship with Louise Lou Taylor. Um, Lou Taylor is Britney's former business manager. And she says, My father worshipped Lou Taylor. She was front and centre during the implementation of the conservatorship that would later allow them to control and take over my career. Lou, who had just started a new company called TriStar Sports and Entertainment Group, was directly involved in calling the shots right before the conservatorship. And she says conservatorships are usually reserved for people with like no mental capacity, but she was highly functional. And Brittany knows this. She says, I was making a lot of people a lot of money, especially my father, who I found out took a bigger salary than he paid me. He paid himself more than $6 million while paying others close to him tens of millions more. The thing is, you can have a conservatorship that lasts for two months and then the person gets on track and you let them control their life again. But that wasn't what my father wanted. He wanted far more. My dad was able to set up two forms of conservatorship, what's called conservatorship of the person and conservatorship of the estate. The conservator of the person is designated to control details of the conservatee's life, in this case, Brittany's life. Like where they live, where they eat, whether they can drive a car, and what they do day to day. Even though I beg the court to appoint literally anyone else, and I mean anyone off the street would have been better, my father was given the job, the same man who would make me cry if I had to get in the car with him when I was a little girl because he talked to himself. And the court was told that I was demented and I wasn't even allowed to pick my own lawyer. And the conservator of the estate, an estate worth, in Britney's case, tens of millions of dollars at one point, manages the conservatee's affairs to keep them from being, quote, subject to undue influence or fraud. This role was taken on by her father in conjunction with a lawyer named Andrew Wallet, who would eventually be paid $426,000 a year for keeping me from my own money. I would be forced to pay upward of $500,000 a year to my court-appointed lawyer, who I wasn't allowed to replace. Think about how scary that is. Like, a SWAT team descends on her, basically, like, stops her from doing anything, and then her father takes over her entire life. In fact, there is one point where she says her father sat her down and said, I am Britney Spears now, not you. Like, I am Britney Spears. And it's so scary. And the way she describes some of like the things that went on in her life when she was under the conservatorship, obviously like she couldn't drive and she went to Alcoholics Anonymous meetings when, again, she feels like she didn't need that. You know, she feels like she didn't abuse alcohol. But she actually really enjoyed the Alcoholic Anonymous meetings because she met a lot of like very strong women there and she felt very inspired by their stories. But she cannot choose to go to which meeting she wants to go to. She has to go to the same meeting at the same place at the same time, all the time. So she cannot switch it up. And she cannot, like, follow the friends that she made in Alcoholics Anonymous meetings to other meetings, right? So all the relationships she built up, she cannot, like, build upon them further. 
And she says like anyone who in her life, right, who like sort of expressed that sort of empathy at one point, a hairdresser tells her, wow, your schedule is really, really packed because her father wanted her to earn more money, right? So that he can get more money via the conservatorship and everybody around her was living off her, right? So her father wanted her to earn more money, so he wanted her to do more shows. And at one point, a hairstylist says like, this is such a packed schedule, like take time out for yourself. And then she never saw the hairstylist again because she suspects that her father heard about this and fired the hairstylist. And she says Felicia, so her longtime assistant before the conservatorship started, she says she never managed to work with Felicia again because her father apparently told Felicia that Britney no longer wants to work with her. And that's not true. Like Britney still does want to work with her. And it really is abuse. Like It really is a very classic abuse story in which you know, she is isolated from her community. She's isolated from her friends. A lot of her friends she fell out of touch with, never got in touch with them again. She became unable to control a lot of her day-to-day life. So at one point, she wants to have a baby. She hopes to have a baby with her husband that she has now divorced. Um, At the point of writing of the book, she was still with Sam Asghari, but no longer. So at one point, she talks about like wanting to have a baby. And her father didn't allow her to take out her IUD. So IUD is like a contraception device that you put inside you and it prevents pregnancy. And she couldn't take it out. She could not get permission to take it out. She at some point wanted to take some like energy supplements like vitamins for herself. Was stopped from doing that. She apparently couldn't have alcohol, couldn't have coffee. And she had to have like stick to a very strict diet because her father didn't want her to get fat. And so she says like for years, she couldn't eat fries. Like, every day she had to eat the same thing and she couldn't eat fries. And she had so little control over her diet. She couldn't have dessert. And it's just so sad. Like, you think about what she was doing at the time because as Brittany says, she was extremely, like, productive professionally at the time. She had a long Las Vegas residency in which she did shows after shows after shows. Like, she did, like, three shows per week, that kind of. That's not something that someone who is not in a mental state of mind to decide things from themselves can do. She was extremely functional and she was treated like she basically cannot do a thing for herself. And she does say that that really affected her because it made her feel like she's not an adult. She feels like she regressed to being a little girl because she had so little control over her life. And she was also very upset over the fact that she had very little control over her show, very little control over her her Las Vegas show lah. Like, she would want to, like, remake songs and stuff like that, change things up. And her father would, because her father didn't care, like, her father just wanted her to do the shows and bring in the money. He didn't care that the quality of the shows had to be, like, super good. So Britney was very stifled. She felt very creatively stifled. She was doing the same thing over and over and over again for years with no change. And every time she tried to change it, she was shut down. And she also feels like she had no one in her corner because she felt like, you know, her mom was the one who made the call to go tell her to come to the beach house when the SWAT team descended on her. So she always felt like her mom had a hand to play in the conservatorship. And her sister, she says, was never very empathetic to her plight. And she says her sister never really understood. And her sister was quite spoiled, like enjoying a lot of things that Britney's money got, but was not always in her corner. Lah. And she was just so isolated. But I think the breaking point really came, right, when she was put into a mental facility it really sounds like a nightmare situation. It's the kind of like very solitary kind of facility. She didn't have a lot of people to interact with. She didn't have a lot of people to talk to. She couldn't see her children. 
She couldn't really like talk to the outside world at all. She had very little control over her own life. She had to stay in the same place. So she says like those were the darkest times. And one part, she actually says she felt like the only way she got through it was because of God. She feels like the fact that she survived it means that there is God because she feels that she wouldn't have been able to survive. If it was just her, she would not have made it. So that's like the part of Britney you see that's very spiritual. And she says like, that must have been God that made me survive this ordeal which was clearly like very traumatizing to her because she was like locked up. She was literally like locked up in a facility. Like it's like being in jail. So it's so scary. And then um, at one point she talks about like moving to another facility and one of the people in the facility shows her the Free Britney movement. So shows her a clip of people talking on TV about freeing Britney, right? Freeing her from a conservatorship. And she was so touched by that. And this, again, is another part of the book that really touched me. She says, I don't think people knew how much the Free Britney movement meant to me, especially in the beginning. Toward the end, when the court hearings were going on, seeing people advocate for me meant a whole lot. But when it first happened, that got my heart because I was not okay, not at all. And the fact that my friends and my fans sensed that what was happening and did all that for me that's a debt I can never repay. If you stood up for me when I couldn't stand up for myself from the bottom of my heart, thank you. My God, just reading that, I kind of want to cry because imagine like for years, like at that point, it must have been at least like close to a decade. For years, being told that you are, you know, unable to think for yourself, being regressing into being a little girl, being unable to speak up for yourself and knowing that you are being wrong, right? Knowing that you are being exploited knowing that you are being controlled and being able to do very, very little about that. Like the conservatorship system in America is quite broken and it is sometimes used in cases of like exploiting people as you see in the case of Britney. And like imagine knowing all that and feeling so helpless and then seeing people outside advocate for you. I think the strength that that brought to her it must have been huge because she did eventually manage to get herself out of the conservatorship. She had to do that on her own. She called 911 to report her father for conservatorship abuse. And she, you know, put things in motion. And I think the fact that it is very clear the Free Britney movement helped her to garner the strength to do that. So I really felt that. And it's great, you know, eventually she does get out of the conservatorship and she talks about like feeling very free and everything. And this is one thing that I really wanted to mention. So we're like nearing the end, right? Like I'm nearing the end of like the book as well, Um, this journey. So she does manage to get out of the conservatorship and it's all, you can tell like it means a lot to her that she's finally free. And then she brings up this thing that I, I want to talk about because I know people talk a lot about this. I know people say that Britney Spears is really weird on Instagram. And I'm not saying that she isn't. She is really weird on Instagram. She posts like really weird photos of herself. She wears kind of weird clothes. Some, like there was one where she was dancing with knives because she thought it was funny and everything. So I know people feel like she's very weird and a bit kooky and like, is she okay? Like, why is she doing all these things? But like my personal opinion is that, yeah, she's free now. So now she's doing this. If she wants to be weird, let her be weird. She had a whole, like, more than a decade of not being able to do what she wants. Just leave her be. Like, freeing Britney also essentially means freeing Britney up to be a little bit of a mess if she wants to be, if she wants to explore being a mess, you know. I think that's, in a way, actually quite healthy for her. And the thing is, Britney has this insight as well. So let me read this 
it's very close to the end of the book. Let me read this part for you. She says, I know that a lot of people don't understand why I love taking pictures of myself naked or in new dresses. But I think if they've been photographed by other people thousands of times, prodded and posed for other people's approval, they'll understand that I get a lot of joy from posing the way I feel sexy and taking my own picture, doing whatever I want with it. I was born into this world naked, and I honestly feel like the weight of the world has been on my shoulders. I wanted to see myself lighter and freer. As I said, Brittany understands that she comes off weird in Instagram, but she's like, I don't care. And it makes so much sense. She has, as she said, she's someone who has been scrutinized all her life for her own appearance. Photos have been taken of her. Articles have been written about her. And on Instagram, she takes her own photos. She writes her own captions, right? So whatever she put out is from her point of view and is what she wants to put out. And I think her being able to take back that control is something that is good. You know, ultimately it's good. No matter whether you think it's what she poses interesting or healthy, I think it's good for her that she is able to make that decision for herself. And I really feel for her. I really like that. And that really touched me. I felt like that was... Like, I know people have this idea of, like, Britney as, like, a bit of a dumb blonde. Like, oh, she, like, had a mental breakdown. She got married super early. And then she got divorced and blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, people think of her as a mess. And I'm not denying that a lot of things that happen in Britney's life is messy. And maybe she will continue to have, like, a bit of a messy life. I don't know. But I feel that you are underestimating her if you feel like she has no insight into what has happened to her. She has. She has a well of rich and deep insights into what happened to her. And if you read her book, you will really feel like not only has she gone through a lot and I think grown a lot in the process and went through a lot of different emotions and growth because of all the things that have happened to her, all the awful, awful things that have happened to her that made her feel distrustful of other people, that made her feel like she needs to be able to advocate for herself. She has gone through a lot of things. And I think another thing that um she has gone through that I feel glad to see this written is her essentially breaking up with her family. And there's a part where she says, like, you know, her family threw away a lot of her stuff that she kept at the old house. Um, For example, things like uh, poems that she wrote to herself and stuff like that. Just a lot of things that she had that had great sentimental value to her. They trashed it without telling her. And she says, I put myself together and I thought, I can get a new notebook and I can start over. I've been through a lot. The reason why I'm alive today is because I know joy. It was time to find God again. In that moment, I made peace with my family, by which I mean that I realized I never wanted to see them again and I was at peace with that. I really like this part of the book because I know a lot of people are always going to be like, but they're your father, they're your mom, they're your sister, they're your family, your family is the only thing that's going to be in your corner, always there for you have to make up with your family, blah, blah, blah. But honestly, in the case of Brittany, her family has not been in her corner. Her family abused her and her family exploited her for many, many years. And I think for Brittany to put this into words, I am at peace with never seeing my family again. I think that is a beautiful thing for her to realize. And I'm glad that she put that into words so that I think it would give strength to other people who are in a situation with their families as well. All right, so, okay, I've talked for so long, but this is Britney Spears we are talking about, and this is a book club episode, and I am invested, okay? And the only two famous people who come off in this book is A, Colin Farrell, the Irish actor whom Britney Spears had a really hot two-week fling with, 
um, way back in the noughties, right? And she says like, oh, she actually doesn't talk about their breakup, but she says like, we were brawling for two weeks. Like they were super like into each other physically and they had a really hot time. And she says like, he was really cute and everything. And another person who comes off really well, Paris Hilton. Yes, the Hilton heir. Britney actually says like, at the time when I needed kindness the most, Paris Hilton was the one who gave it to me. Like Paris Hilton gave her like friendship and comfort and just like took her out and let her have fun. And I think it's really nice because I think Paris Hilton is also one of those people that, you know, over the years she has, like obviously is she problematic in some ways? Of course she is. But also I think she is someone who has gone through a lot. And like Britney has been scrutinized a lot, has been criticized a lot, has been slut-shamed, body-shamed, whatever, and has been through so much and come out the other side. And I'm glad, you know, to see all these maligned women of the noughties finally getting a chance to tell their story and be themselves. If you don't know, Paris Hilton also released a memoir not long ago. So if you're interested, you can read that, which I believe it was also ghostwritten. All right, that is enough for today. My podcast producer looking at me like, finally, oh my God, I can finally go home because it's like so late. All right, so this is this episode of Pop Vouchers. I hope it was insightful. I hope you will go and read the Britney book because there's so much I left out. I actually do think it is quite a good read, especially if you love celebrities, if you love pop culture, if you are interested in Britney in particular, go ahead and read it. There are parts of the book that are dark, that are sad, but I think it's ultimately quite an uplifting book. All right, that's all for today. If you want me to talk about anything else, you have any ideas on what I should talk about, if you have any feedback or comments, you can email us at podcast.sph.com.sg or you can email me at genly at sph.com.sg or you can slide to my DMs on genlywrites on Instagram. All right, that's all for this week. Thank you for listening. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.